Welcome to the Trailer Cast with Elise Snipes. Each week, I will be sharing with you from inside my vintage trailer where I work as a therapist and share some of my musings on the human experience. I am endlessly fascinated and inspired by people. I love being a therapist and I'm deeply grateful for the intimate and beautiful work I get to do. I believe we are wildly capable of healing and making this world a better place, and this is my attempt at doing that. Sharing beauty to invoke beauty. May you find yourself inside these stories and ponderings and be better for it. Cheers. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of TrailerCast. We are back into the hard-hitting series of the Taboo series, and I have Kyle with us here today. Um, He actually reached out to me via social media, and I'm so thankful because we're here for a really important conversation. Um, And just a little disclaimer that anybody who has had experiences with things that have been traumatic or anything that is historically relevant to this conversation Maybe just buckle up and be ready for a conversation that's going to go to places that we don't typically go to. Kyle, thank you for being here today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I'm, I'm honored, truly. So all through, what was that, a DM? <laughs> email. It was yes. a talk to an email. Yes. I, think that, <laughs> I think it was an email. I think I'm signed up on your newsletter and I saw this taboo series. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> These are the types of conversations I wish more people are having. So I was so excited to see the series. I'm so excited when you said yes to having me on your show. So I'm excited for this really conversation that we're about to have. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, I appreciated just one, like the enthusiasm, but also like the boldness of like, hey, wait, what? Taboo? Pick me. <laughs> like, this is excellent. I was like, yes, right now. <laughs> so I'm excited to be here. So tell right, us I'm about, excited. Yeah. Tell us who you are, whether personally, professionally, however you want to lead off. Yeah, I'll start with the professional part. I'm a career coach and a life coach, and primarily my clients are in Silicon Valley or Silicon Valley-like places. Um, so Austin, Seattle, um, New York, places where it's a really competitive job market, and I help people find jobs they love or at least tolerate. And I think that part's really important because not everyone has to love their job. But I really help people navigate the job search process. And then once they find their job, I help them really find happiness within that job and in their life. Um, Outside of work, I love coffee. I love my partner, JV. And oftentimes we can be found at Disneyland where annual pass holders and spend (laughs) a lot of time at Disneyland. We live up in San Francisco. But at least once a month, we'll take the drive from San Francisco to L.A. to go to Disneyland because um, it's just a blast. And it really is the happiest place on Earth. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, one, I didn't, I didn't realize that that was your specific niche as well in regards to helping people specifically with their job satisfaction. And I, this will take us down a rabbit hole, so we'll come back to it. But the idea of just not having to love your job but tolerating it and finding happiness, that is a mystery. <laughs> Yes, and it's something that's been interesting because a lot of people who come to me um, are more advanced in their careers. They've been working 10 or 20 years and they realize perhaps I don't have to fall in love with my job, but this job can be a means to a different end. It can be supporting my family or paying for my child's college or 
something else, and I think that's something that's been really important for me to recognize over time with my clients, just because I love my job doesn't mean that my clients have to love their work. And yes, a lot of them do, but for some of them, they don't. And it's really, I was just working with a client who had to maintain their visa sponsorship and was finding an employer, or at least trying to find an employer that would sponsor them so they could stay in this country. And for them, they said, okay, any job that will hire me, that's the goal. Yeah. We're able to find them a job. So for them, it wasn't, oh my gosh, I have to love my job. And that's something that's been really helpful for me to realize and then been able to work through with clients. Do you think that's like a millennialist concept that like I have my job has to like either be something I'm absolutely in love with or has like exceptional meaning? I think it tends to be. I don't think just exclusively millennials, but I think a lot of millennials, that's the idea. I have to love my job. It has to be something I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. I have to know as soon as I go to college or graduate college, mm -hmm. this is what I'm meant to do. And I work with so many people, especially in their 40s, 50s, 60s, that are like, you know what, Kyle, I've had a job or I've had several jobs over the last few decades and I have no idea what I like. I have no idea what I want to be when I grow up and that's okay. So a lot of people come to me for career discovery yeah. to figure out what do I want to be? Who am I? What am I good at? What am I passionate about? And sometimes we find that in work and sometimes we just find them a job and then find them happiness outside of work or somewhere else that may not be related to work or maybe is just tangential to work. I love it. I'm going to sit with that. I feel like that, I for sure like feel like I I, I do love what I do and I feel like that's like mandatory <laughs> So for me. So I'm like, oh, that's so interesting to help people find their source, whether that is also at work or if their source of like, why am I alive and where I extract meaning and joy um, would be outside of my workplace. I, that must be relieving for people. I find it is for people to often say, you know what, I'm happy. And all oftentimes it's because they found a job, but then sometimes it's something else or it's saying, wow, I don't have to find all my happiness from work. I'm like you, I, I love my job and it brings meaning to my life and I'm doing important work and aligns with my values. And that's a lot of my clients. Um, they care about their work and they love it and they're really good at it. But the, for other people, it's not. And it's helpful for them to have someone like me to navigate that journey. And it's rewarding, regardless of kind of which type of client I'm working with. Totally, totally. Good. Okay, so tell me, we're going to go back to our email. What is the taboo topic that you feel like is important for us and for people to hear today? Yes, yeah, so really what I'm passionate about is helpers, you and me, other helpers, therapists, coaches, social workers, having their own mental health routine, their self-care routine, and really focusing on what it means to take care of yourself when our job is to take care of other people. It's something we don't talk about enough. We're spending so much time yeah. pouring into other people's glasses and helping them. So how can we help ourselves? And for me, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. I live with mental illness. So this is something that's really critical. I spend 40 plus hours a week. I'm trying to get closer to just 40, but I spend 40 plus hours a week taking care of other people. The yeah. thing that's really critical for me is that I take care of myself and I take time for that. And we're so good at helping other people that we have to step back and take care of ourselves. Gosh. Um, yeah, so there, that was a lot right there, right? So one, as people that are in any type of mental health or behavioral health field, coaching or otherwise, what it is like to continually pour out and then vicarious mm -hmm. 
trauma that even happens from this work, right? Like from, mm-hmm. from working with big stuff and big feelings and big stories and big pressure to then your own personal narrative of being a survivor and staying, and staying in this work. Amazing. Yeah. And I love I'm, I'm on this podcast with a therapist and you're able to summarize that and reflect it beautifully for me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's the beauty of, of mirroring, right? To be able to see like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, so when I put my story out there, this is maybe how someone else could see it. Like, oh, all right, mm-hmm. that sounds all right. Like, that sounds all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you, what do you think is good for people to know about one, maybe, let's, let's take it in two categories. One, being a professional in this space, and then two, being a survivor as a human. Whichever one you want to talk about first. Yeah, let's talk about being a professional in this space. I think something we don't talk about enough is how we take care of ourselves and what that looks like. And specifically when it comes to topics of self-care and mental health, most often I find that people immediately talk about Netflix or yoga or brunch. And I love two of those three. I love Netflix and brunch. I'm not a yoga person at all. I'm not flexible. It just isn't fun to me. Um, But we so often talk about self-care at this really high level. Here's these things to try and reduce stress, reduce anxiety, and we never get to a deeper level beyond, okay, where is the stress coming from? When did it start? And how do I really take care of myself beyond just trying to zone out or trying to feed my heart and my hunger and my soul. We never, I wouldn't say never, we rarely get to that. And I think it's something that's really key beyond just, okay, I had brunch with friends on Saturday. Now let me go back to grinding and never soothing my soul. So I think that's something that's so key that we talk about is really getting to that deeper level. Yes. Yeah. That like that all my bells are ringing on that. (laughs) It's, like if my my problem or the thing that hurts is the pain I'm carrying, my pain wasn't that I needed brunch with friends. Like that wasn't the solution, right? Like I don't have a social injury. I have like a professional injury. And so it's it is so ironic that we have those three the three biggies, right? I hear that Netflix and chill, brunch, you know, yoga or breathing. And I'm like, okay, but my injury isn't there. My injury is like is whatever. For me, so I'm like holding in holding in so many other stories of pain is, can make me weary. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that bleeds in to the other part of, for me, for example, living with mental illness, being a survivor of sexual assault. And I think the third piece is really just being a queer person and all the trauma that's been associated with those three and not dealing with it Mm -hmm. as well as I could have. And really thinking, what would that look like if I share more of this? That's something I've been doing over the last few years and part of this podcast. And really addressing that rather than the surface level of, let me just go eat brunch with friends or let me watch Netflix and um, mute my emotions and feelings. Really actually addressing these. So that's why I'm so excited for this conversation and really seeing more of these conversations taking place and people actually sharing their stories rather than just, oh, things are okay. Um, or, oh, I'm doing self-care, um, but it really just being at a high level rather than going deeper and practicing self-love. Yes, yes. So I mean, I'll go first. I'd love to know what you think on this. Like, when I think about beginning to share my story of also being a sexual abuse survivor, sexual assault survivor, is 
I was really predominantly afraid of what other people would think of me now that they know that. Like, would they ever be able to see just me? Or will they only be able to, like, it felt like they would just see, like, black tar stuck to me was a big reason I didn't want to say anything about my story. Mm. It was hard for you. What was difficult for me, I think, at least as a male sexual assault survivor, was there so much stigma Mm. associated with it and so much victim blaming that goes on um, and people want to know okay well why did it happen what could have you done to prevent it um, and a lot of those questions yeah. that are really frustrating and difficult to navigate and aren't helpful or people think they're being helpful and yeah. they're not and I think that's one of the most difficult parts when it came to me wanting to share my story and when I share my story now is oftentimes we just want people to listen and that's yeah. it. And instead, people go into advice giving mode, or they go into yeah. asking questions that, at least for me, are not helpful. Completely. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. There was, I definitely had questions trying to find out, like, well, I mean, where were you? What were you wearing? Um, did you know them? What, I mean, like, did you want it to happen? Did you, I mean, just really crazy questions where it's like, I just told you something so gnarly. And you, you, that's what the line of questioning we're going with? Yeah. yeah, and people people don't know how to, a lot of people don't know how to react to trauma. Mm-hmm. So I think oftentimes these questions pop up where people want to rationalize it. I think that's really what it yeah. is. People want to rationalize yeah. it or create yeah. logic. And that's why they try and ask these questions is because mm-hmm. it's illogical for someone to do this evil thing. So people want to add logic and ration to it. So that's Completely. what I'm thinking is perhaps why they ask all these questions that aren't helpful. Yeah. And also to, to, to them, they, so they can protect themselves, right? Like if I can make mm. your experience logical, well, then now I can find out what I need to do in order to avoid that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah, this conversation is crucial. And you brought up the idea also of as men, it's, there's even more stigma around coming forward because it's, there's, and also the statistics are starting to even out and we're looking at the assault and that's mm-hmm. just what's reported. So exactly, there are men that are experiencing sexual abuse and sexual assault and mm-hmm. they need help more than ever. Yes, I remember when I shared that I was sexually assaulted, the first person I shared it was with was officers and they laughed. They literally laughed. Um, and that was the very first experience when I shared it. And then when I went to the hospital, um, they're like, okay, let's assess you. Okay, why are you still at the hospital? You can go home now without doing anything, without wanting to do a rape kit. Um, and the very, those first two experiences, being laughed at and then not being believed, just further perpetuates that stigma. And then we wonder why people don't report it, while why people don't seek help. When the people you go to, police officers and doctors, the people who are supposed to help you, aren't helpful. And then later the detectives saying, oh, are you sure this wasn't just some miscommunication or a mistake or you're confused? So there's so much inability for people to have difficult conversations mm-hmm. and really wrap their mind around, no, there's this evil thing that happened. I'm advocating for myself and I want you to hear me and what I have to say. Yes. 
I, I hear you and what you have to say. And I'm so sorry for that, those two primary feelings when that first happened. That is, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm hoping by us having this conversation, yeah. we can remove some of that taboo and for people to recognize that's not the only experiences that happen when people share their story. I know you and I were talking before mm -hmm. uh, we started this and I share my story a lot now. And thankfully, most of the response I get is positive. People are open and welcoming and really encouraging when I share my story. And it's been a really key portion of my recovery is to share my story and share it openly. Um, it's taken a lot to get to this point, but it's been a really key component of my recovery is sharing my story so openly. I'm with you on that. I feel like there's a healing that occurs for me when I get to not hold that all within me, but I can say like, I'm not afraid of that story and I'm still not afraid of it. I'll be willing to share it. And I think the response I actually hear most is, um, me too. That happened to me too. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have the words or I didn't know what to say or I didn't know if, if I said something, if I'd ever feel better. So what's the point? Mm -hmm. We do need more stories of people saying, hey, this is, this is what has happened to me. This is where I am now. And you can, and I really do believe this, feel all the way better. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And to recognize that, at least for me, recovery is possible. And I don't think recovery, at least in my mind and how I've seen it, is that recovery isn't the absence of feelings, mm -hmm. the ability to manage it well mm -hmm. and to live a life where those emotions, you're able to regulate them and you're able to make peace with them. Yeah. And that's at a point yeah. where I'm at now. And that mm -hmm. journey is continuing to evolve and how I make peace with it has continued to evolve, but really recognizing that recovery is possible and treatment works. Yes, and yes, yes. <laughs> um, something else I thought of that's helpful is when, so let's say maybe for people that are listening, if you're not a survivor or you're, and that someone comes to you and they're like, hey, this is just what happened. Um, when we treat invisible injury like it's visible, we would typically, if we saw someone injured, we'd stop and be like, are you okay? And how can I help? Like, those mm -hmm. are very like easy questions. If I saw someone limping down the road, I would 100% stop. Are you okay? And how can I help? But when we can't see the injury and we talk about something that has been historical, whether that was an, an injury or a, or a mental illness or something that's within us, people tend to feel like all of a sudden we're lepers and that it's contagious and mm, mm -hmm. they're going to catch it or be susceptible to it. <laughs> so, yeah. like a visible injury. I love that. I was just talking to someone who was contemplating coming out to their family about living with mental illness. And I asked them, I realized they're not the same thing, but I said, how would you come out to your family if you're just diagnosed with cancer? Yeah. Um, yeah. How would you share it with them? What would be the setting? what words would you use? And I think that can be so helpful. So I love that idea for the same thing of people who don't see or haven't been sexually assaulted and aren't able to see that physical pain to address it as if you had seen someone who's physically injured. I love that. Yes, yes. And I believe you. I, mm -hmm. I think that there's just a culture of 
already like statistically people who survive this type of um, injury tend to already not believe themselves because it's a defense mm -hmm. mechanism to just deny that it ever happened. So it's already so yep. much work for the person to raise their hand and say, I'm going to say something. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And using that same example, if someone was in a car accident, we wouldn't immediately say, oh, okay, so are you sure you were in a car accident? <laughs> we, <laughs> we don't ask totally that. We like, sure? apply the same logic. <laughs> <laughs> it's just silly um, totally. to apply that same logic. Um, so I think that can be helpful as well to really think, okay, would we ask these questions of someone who was in a car accident? <laughs> <laughs> you're, so, you're so right. It's like also like the, line, the logical line of questioning at the impact always like frustrates me where I'm like, so if you asking me if I put on my blinker has nothing to do with the fact that I'm on the side of the road and my car is busted up. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Help me. <laughs> Don't ask me about my blinker. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. That's oh. funny. Yeah, that's so funny. Okay, so um, let's let's go around. What are the other things, and what are other things that are important for people to know? I think maybe for survivors, especially if you haven't said anything to anyone yet what it's like living with that secret and what the process is like to healing. I think that would be helpful for people to hear. Yes, so I think it looks different for every person, what it looks like if and when you share your story. So for some people sharing their story verbally with a friend, with a therapist, wherever it may be, may be your preferred method. For some people, they love writing. I love writing, for example. Um, I especially love social media. I'm a huge fan of LinkedIn. And when people think of, okay, sharing your story in regards to sexual assault, um, or like I said earlier, I'm queer, so I've shared my story of being queer on social media um, and on LinkedIn may not be the first place people think, but I think for each person, it really depends on what works best for you, what feels, I wouldn't say comfortable, because I wouldn't say it feels comfortable for me, but what feels right for you, and thinking, okay, where is this going to be best? for me and my situation. And that's been really helpful for me in the journey to share my story in writing and to share it verbally. Um, first with my parents, I had a supportive parents with friends, Amazing. with a therapist, and then over time being able to share it in different manners, but recognizing also for each person it looks differently. Some people may never share their story. Um, some people may share it with a few select people. Some people may share it with the world. And I think it's important yeah. to recognize it's different for each person and there's no right or wrong way because it's yeah. your story. Yeah. And for me, what was really important was to be in control because being sexually assaulted is a loss of control. So me sharing my story and choosing yeah. how I share it, where I share it, when I share it, was not an opportunity for me to gain back control that was lost when I was assaulted. That's fire kyle you're so right right <laughs> like my story my truth my words and i i'm in charge and that that is healing right taking back our power exactly exactly so for those who are listening it may be powerful for you to just say you know what, what how can i take back control right now what would that look like and what would make me feel powerful and in control right now and then answer that for yourself on what that looks like i can't tell you what that would look like i love that yeah i i can remember that i let's see here the first therapist i told i ran her by the situation to see if she could call it out as abuse 
um, to see if it was actually true. Like, I'm like, let me just tell you what happened. And then to see if she thought that that was totally normal or if she thought that was an actual problem. Um, and this was years and years and years after, after one of the incidents. So it's like, there's still so much work that is being done within the person coming forward and mm -hmm. years of working how to believe myself and then learn how to put words to it in a way that made me feel like I was honoring myself. Mm -hmm. Powerful. And you know what, this is the thing I also maybe would say, like, like I don't, I don't fear things anymore. Like I'm not afraid of what is, I've like looked in my closet, do you know? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I've looked around and I'm mm -hmm. like pulled out this stuff and I don't feel like, oh no. So there is a freedom that comes from facing the big work. And so maybe that would be like a, a moment of courage for people is that when we go mm -hmm. into the, into dark things to heal, it doesn't stay dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it can being on the other side of it has been amazing. Of the other side of sharing my story and working through the challenges of sharing it, both with myself and with others. I think that's the key. Is mm -hmm. when I'm sharing with others, I'm also reliving it. So it's not just simply recounting a movie, but it's reliving a really traumatic mm -hmm. event. And it can be really powerful recognizing over time how I used to cry when I would share it and my heart would race and now it's completely yeah. different. And yeah. yes, my heart spikes a little, but it's completely different. It's powerful to say, you know what, I'm in control of even not just how I share this, but how I feel when I share it and how I react to the situation. You're right. You're right. So that first part, that's, that's when the body is still in trauma. When our body's activated like that and it's shaking or sweating or having that that big response it is really stuck in the trauma and then as we move through our story and our like that autonomic, autonomic nervous system starts to calm down it's like oh okay i realized that was then and there and i'm telling that story from this perspective so even like you're talking about the, the idea of story as healing is a really strong component for this work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um, maybe resources. Like, I think it's always helpful. If someone's like right now, like, I've never, oh, this is it. I was going to say, I used to lead, um, I used to work at only in trauma and only in sexual abuse survivors. I used to lead creative arts mm. for people. And it was, I mean, some of the most intensely beautiful work I've ever done in my life. And there was a group I led, the last group I led, actually. And there was a woman who was there. It was a eight-week group. And on the last night she shared, okay? And we've been together eight weeks and a lot of work and she wow. hadn't shared. And she said, this is the first time that I have ever said and told my story. And she's 92 years old. And she sat there and looked at the rest of this group, these young women and said, I just didn't want to live a moment longer of my life without being free. And I'm just sitting there looking at her like 92, like she's doing this work at 92 years old. Mm -hmm. It made me feel like it's never too late for people to do their work. It's never too late. It isn't. Oh no. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. The chill. Powerful. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
what, what about maybe your specific contact information? Because you are a person who understands this personally and professionally. Where can people access you as an ongoing resource for them? Yeah, so for me, my website's caffeinatedkyle.com. <laughs> I also spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, Kyle Elliott. And then I think I have to mention, too, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I know that's more broad than just sexual assault, yeah. but I love that website. It's super yep. helpful for resources. I actually wrote an article on there, Five Ways oh. I Help Myself and My Job is to Help Others. So I love that website for really just anything around mental health in general, too. So I found that really helpful. So I think that was key that I mentioned that. I'm obsessed. Yep. And so that was, yeah, so NAMI is also the, um, the website that you're referring to. They are a phenomenal yes. resource. Um, any specific um, ally or queer resources? Um, I'm a huge fan of HRC, especially because I do career coaching. They have an index they took out for LGBT-friendly workplaces that they rank. So I'm a huge fan of the Human Rights Campaign, or HRC. Um, so that's usually my go-to resource. And then from there, I know they have local resources that they can point people to depending on where you live. Yep. Perfect. Um, also, I looked into, like, PSLAG, so parents and friends. Um, oh, yes. I love that resource. There's one in, honestly, almost every single county, um, just because when we look at any form of anything, whether this be trauma or um, mental illness or whatever it is that we're looking at, we always take in the additional layers or lenses of the human because we're so complex. So we would never broad brush all human beings as experiencing depression or trauma in the same way. And so when the reason we bring up queer resources is because this is an additional layer. We want to make sure that we understand the human being as thoroughly as possible. So their healing is as specific as possible. So if you're in the mental health field, it's crucial that you understand um, all the resources that are available and how to specifically take care of our LGBT plus friends. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. We would do it for, you know what I mean? Like we, in, I remember in grad school, like we had a class to understand like all, every specific ethnicity and race and all these different, you know, cultural presentations. And we don't hesitate to think about, well, of course, this has, this, has, this is affecting the way someone thinks about themselves and how they relate to the world or other people. Like we have, we have to do the same thing um, when it comes to how we understand our sexual orientation, our gender presentation, our everything. Yes, you know, I think that's so key because how people experience this is different depending on all those things you mentioned. I think that's so key because it's so different um, how they experience it and then how the process goes around reporting it, how it goes through yeah. the recovery process. I love that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It, um, even for, especially for reporting, I've had done a lot of reporting over the years, obviously, and um, that was something that has come up as trying to navigate, help the social service industry understand how to ask questions of the um, survivors in a way that really validates their experience rather than re-traumatizes them on the phone. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> you know, that's crazy. Um, okay, what else? Kyle, what's it? What else? What is it like? I'm just asking this. What is it like to live right now, partnered 2020, um, survivor in your dream job, like what's it like to be alive right now? I never um, thought I would be at this place. I never 
Um, we're talking about taboo things. I never thought I would be this happy. I never thought I'd find a partner. Um, I never thought I'd love my job this much. So it feels unreal some days. I don't say I pinch myself. I have yeah. like never pinched myself really, but I feel like it feels unreal to be in such a beautiful place and it's exciting to be here. Um, and I think something I work with the therapist I see her every week, I have coaches, something I realize is how much work I put in to get here and it wasn't luck. Um, and I am lucky to be born in America. I have great parents. Um, but to be to this place and have worked so hard to get here, especially when it comes to my recovery, has been amazing. And I'm so grateful that I put in all that effort and also to have such a supportive family and friends and a therapist and coaches that helped me get there. And I'm so grateful to be here. And it feels not unbelievable, but it feels almost unbelievable. Yep. Yep. Gosh. I got the chills and I'm like snapping over here. <laughs> like, like that's, that's the truth of the hard work is it really does get better. Like life can be this good. I, I, that's like for me, my biggest soapbox is really good, complete healing and a life you didn't even know you could have is available. And the way to it or through it is this like tunnel of work and going into the work to be free on the other side. Yeah, and oftentimes I would be going through the efforts of therapy or sharing my story or asking myself, is this really all worth it doing this work? Or like, will this all pay off? Mm -hmm. And I can finally see, probably this last year or two, finally saying, yes, all this work and effort is worth it. I'm seeing the results that I've, putting, I've been putting in all this effort for so long. I'm seeing the results and it's worth yes. it. Yes. Yep. I'm in alignment with you. I doubled down on that. It, um, I, I would be, I would be so sad for myself if I hadn't already done this work, this feeling of, wow, all these good years of good life I've been able to enjoy because of, because of that work. It's like enjoying the fruits now and not waiting until I'm 92 mm -hmm. to go to my first therapy session <laughs> to begin my work. So Kyle, I'm so honored to get to like share um, this space with you, like professionally and personally. It's really it's really special to meet somebody who's had similar experiences and what I see in you so much though is your delight in what you get to do and it's inspiring. So thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored that someone as talented and as passionate as you is in this space and helping people. Okay. <laughs> okay well, we're going to um, maybe meet at Disneyland next time. <laughs> yes, I would love that. That would be so much fun. <laughs> I've only been once as an adult, so um, I will probably need a trusted guide. <laughs> you can be my disciplinarian. Yes. <laughs> yes, nowadays you need that. My partner took me, and you have to get max passes and get reservations at restaurants six days in advance. Oh, it's a whole other game nowadays, but it's it's amazing. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And for people listening, I'm going to put all Kyle's information in the like notes for, um, for today as well as on social media. So if you are interested in doing some work with Kyle or just even sending in some love for just being here and being so open, um, I just would love that. This is such a beautiful community and a place for people to get to raise their hand and say, I have something to say. And I, and I like, I want to say it. Let's have these big, beautiful conversations. So thank you to people listening. Um, 
but I do maybe just challenge people to pay attention to what makes you feel uncomfortable and let's see what that means as a part of our own healing. So, thank you everyone and thank you Kyle. Thanks for listening. To connect with me, suggest a topic for the show, or ask a question from your own life you would like to have answered, email me at elise at trailercast.com. E-L-Y-S-E at trailercast.com. You can also see more on the TrailerCast website or follow me on Instagram at TrailerCast, where you can watch the renovation of my vintage mobile office and see more from behind the scenes. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends. 